the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and with me on this episode is uh, Mark Derrickett. Uh, Mark, great to have you back in the studio. It has been too long. It has definitely been too long. Thank you for uh, for coming across, taking uh, taking time out to join the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, we have a fair bit to talk about. A lot of Google Googleness today, um, for want of a, a better made up word. Uh, it's a very googly episode. <laughs> yes, uh, there's some New Zealand, some New Zealand, um, uh, New Zealandness as well. Um, <laughs> about a Kiwiana for us all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let, let, let's talk Kiwi, uh, Kiwi stuff. I want to talk a little bit about digital surveillance, uh, Wi-Fi on Air New Zealand, which has, uh, has landed. And then we will dive into lots of Google stuff and there may be some time for, uh, for some other bits and pieces. But look, Google have gone to town at I, IO announcing things to do with photos, to do with Gmail, their... Um, artificial intelligence in the in the health world, uh, assistant Google Assistant, um, a lot of photo stuff, tech, and... yep, uh, Google Duplex, uh, mm. having bots call uh, real people and um, in a in a way that the real people don't realise they're talking to a bot. There's uh, next version of Android, Android P. Uh, there's loads in there, so let's uh, let's jump straight in now. First up, let's talk a little bit about digital surveillance. And look, this was triggered uh, yesterday with media uh, focusing on a story where a Kiwi went into a foodstuffs uh, store, a New World New World uh, store in particular, because they've got uh, they've got a few brands there. Um, Dunedin, I believe, and due to human error, uh, this particular person was pulled aside, taken to a you know a separate room within the uh, supermarket uh, complex, and accused of being a shoplifter. Not uh, not a super nice sort of thing to have to go through, but it it's triggered a, a much broader discussion around mm. surveillance and around you know how much do we trust having having surveillance and there's a, a New Zealand um, you know, piece of software that's being used in in some of their stores around the country, not in that Dunedin one apparently. Uh, also, Z Energy at their uh, uh, their petrol stations, and it does uh, does both number plate recognition and facial recognition. Now, quite a big difference between those two from a, Just a, uh, a you know computing perspective, and also the the uh, opportunity for making mistakes. Of course, is is much bigger with facial recognition. Certainly, in terms of how the technology is developed at the moment. Uh, also, you know, it comes down a lot to the definition of the cameras, how close they get to the subjects whether they're able to really get a, an accurate result. And, you know, recent details out of the UK where, uh, you know, there's a tremendous, crazy number of surveillance cameras scattered around that police have access to uh, where they've, you know, had a, a pretty big chunk of uh, of false positives. 
you've got that aspect to it. You've got China, where uh, reports are suggesting that by 2020, they expect to have full coverage, 100%. Um, and I don't quite know what that means, but there, there's you know talk basically that the government wants to have full surveillance of people all the time in China by 2020. And the kicker is, they're saying, including in people's homes. So drawing from... TVs with cameras in them, from phones to having a level of of surveillance. Yeah. Now, this uh, that, that, that that's, hasn't that's a bit too extreme, I think. That hasn't come through, um, and maybe it wasn't the phones, but it was definitely talking about surveillance inside people's homes. Now, that's obviously not not come through the the uh, you know officially uh, sanctioned communications, uh, from my understanding, from uh, the Communist Party. In China, but uh, yeah, that's what has been uh, has been published in the media about China. So you've got a a lot of variations, and you know, I think here in New Zealand we're we're pretty you know cautious around uh, our privacy. So is it is it okay? Is it appropriate for us to have uh, to have cameras in uh, in retail that are using AI? Maybe in the future, drawing on uh, police databases. I don't think they're directly able to use police data at this stage and what happens if uh, they have a cyber security issue and end up leaking that data or if the data is wrong I don't necessarily think there's an issue with the actual the technology but possibly how they use it and actually report on it and track on it and don't necessarily take it at face value just use that as, as possibly one of the tools to identify potential people and then that might say you might want to take them aside and quietly question them and not downright outright accuse them and take them to the the back room and (laughs) kind of thing but uh it's a slippery slope i think but we've already had it's okay for people for them to have security cameras we've had security cameras for how long for for a long time time. and and look if you walk into the you know certain uh, certain stores in areas where they have had a lot of issues, you will see those pictures plastered up, you know, printouts from have from their surveillance cameras. Yeah, yeah, sort of highlighting somebody. Now, usually the quality's not very good, but, you know, you imagine they were using a really good camera that is, you know, maybe it's doing a, um, you know, I don't know, 50 megapixel shot, can zoom in on anyone and give you full high definition it could give you a 3D view of it and then that were to leak out, right? Because yeah. And that's only a very small step from, from what we have. So at what point does it become unacceptable? Is well, it, yeah, where, where, do, where, where, where do we decide that it's not okay? Well, I mean, retailers already post, quite, quite a few retailers post photos on Facebook and saying, we were broken in last night. This is the footage that we've taken from our CCD cameras. The quality is not that great, but... You can now get like 4K CCD cameras kind of thing. So quality is going up. But if they can post that to social media and say, we're just wanting information on these people, can you identify them? And then we'll, we might interview them and go, oh, no, that's not the person. It looks very similar, but it's not the person. We're okay with that generally. Mm. So adding a little bit of machine learning on top of that is just possibly another thing now if they're getting data from Cambridge Analytica and then doing facial recognition across Facebook and automatically targeting someone or using Google Photos to actually do their using their facial recognition 
or Microsoft's APIs, which they've got public things that you can do that sort of stuff for. And if that starts doing things like, ah, we've identified a white young male in the age of 19 to 25, and he's wearing a a messy university jacket and kind of like pulled up all this identification stuff that you can then start searching for. That That's a impressive, but that's probably something that you might want to be careful with. And how long should, you know, there are, I guess there's considerations around how long do you keep the data? Because, you know, when somebody has a conviction, that conviction, I think, in New Zealand generally is on file for something like seven years, and then it gets uh, and then it gets expunged from the uh, records. I could be a little bit wrong about that, but there's probably a little bit more to that because there'll be certain certain sorts of offences which they keep on, uh, you know, long term uh, yeah. permanently. But uh, and and then there's the situations of. Um, how do I put this? I've got an embarrassing story to share. Okay, Paul Spain's shoplifting story. Okay, so I walked into oh. a I walked into a store one day, and um, look, how old were you? Uh, no, no, it's not one of these youngster stories. This is oh, this, so is, this is recent. This is the absent-minded Paul Spain story. So people that know me well know that I can get sidetracked by things, and so every few years. There's a, um, there's a there's an instance where I will drive through a red light. I haven't been killed yet. Where I've just completely <laughs> like my mind is somewhere else because it's all about you, right? Not the other driver. Uh, just I'm not I'm not thinking. But like you know, the consequences that goes wrong is you know it's quite bad. So there's that. And um, and look, one time I was in a in a um, in a large retailer that posts a uh, a security person near the door. Um, I was probably, you know, in my suit and everything else. And uh, look, I needed some socks. And so I picked up some socks. And then, I don't know, the phone rang or something like that. And I walked out to the edge of the store. And they're like, sir, have you paid for those? And I was like, oh, no, no, I haven't. Um, so I went back and paid for them. But I was, you know, within within metres of um, uh, walking walking out the door with some product I had not paid for. Um, oh. So, I mean, a scenario like that, they were obviously able to uh, make a judgment call and, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, you know, decided to, rather than we're calling the police or something like that, which, you know, may, maybe certainly if I got outside the door, they, you know, they would have been uh, justified in. Um, but they made, you know, made, they made the call that, you know, I was absent-minded or, or whatever they thought. Um, but look, you know, imagine uh, sidetracked Paul takes a call, forgets he's holding this pair of socks, walks out of the store, and then you know blacklisted and you know every retailer in the country in the future. I guess that would push me to do more online shopping. Um, so there could be well, could be a you know well, a plus side to it. But you know you've they, we've they got to be careful with this data. That's what I'm trying yeah. to trying to say. But, is like then they might just blacklist you from online shopping as well. Hmm. See, so there could be some human rights aspects to this. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the one I was thinking of, occasionally you get like the, um, the electronic security uh, video camera things that will automatically email photos to known places to um, the moment someone's like entered your house if it was kind of out of, out of the normal range. Mm. Some of them, I think some of the emergency ones will automatically send photos to like the local police department. Like I think iOS, ha- the, the emergency buzzer thing, for panic, right, we'll, right, yeah, we'll seeing that kind of stuff, 
if we've got these video cameras in surveillance systems that are now doing facial recognition and going, ah, we've found Paul Spain online. Okay, we know his address. We'll just send this information directly to the police and automatically flag you as criminal number three. And there could be a lot of... Consequences. Consequences that you did not necessarily think of at the time and... Yeah. Yeah. So, look, um, yeah, pe- pe- people make mistakes. I, I nearly did. Uh, thank you to the security person who uh, uh, helped me out of that one before it uh, became a, 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 um, a big issue. Um, so, we, you know, we do need to think about this stuff. I think that, we're, you know, legislation is, is going to be important, how we manage it. Also, we're moving to share more and more data, sometimes, you know, quite innocently. But for years we've had things like a uh, a card that you use at the supermarket to get a discount and it records against you or family name all of the products that you buy when you use that card, right? That goes into their database. So their profile knows that Paul Spain buys X packets of um, wheat bits a year. Um, and 10 cell phones. Uh, well, I don't tend to buy those at the supermarket, so it doesn't know about those. But as the data gets linked linked together, and then you've got we've got stores now where you go into the store and there's an app, there's free Wi-Fi. Um, you know, they they could tie that that you know they, maybe they've actually got a photo of you that's come through whatever mechanism. You swipe your card, they take a photo of you. So they know that this is, oh, that's Paul, because we, we took that photo. And then you're walking around the store, and you might get you know, personalised advertising uh, popping up. Yep. Uh, so there's all sorts of you know, ways that this, this stuff um, you know, is, is going to change the world, and balance is going to be required so we don't go too far on some of these things. That said, if you can you know, give a personalised offer... And let's say I was a big uh, purchaser of of wheat bakes. We don't actually probably buy a lot in our in our house, but we do buy some. Um, then it might target me when I walk into a store with a special, you know, a special wheat bakes offer, or what you know, whatever it is, based on you know what product they're trying to push that week and yeah. other uh, other bits and pieces to encourage you to run their app or uh, you know to to yeah. allow them to follow you around the store in a in a digital sense. I suppose a lot of it is actually the social aspect of it. It's not necessarily the technology. It's that you, Paul Spain, have opted into being given wheat books, specials, and all this kind of stuff, as opposed to the supermarket chain going, by walking into the store, we have rooted your device, hacked it, and we'll give you <laughs> discounts, but we're monitoring you. It's If it's your choice to actually opt into things, we're much more... The, the, yeah, except, but, except but we also do because these things are done, you know, by stealth, right? It's slowly, right? Yeah. So, so we started out with the food town card or whatever it was, and so people got used to that. And then it's like, oh, you can load that onto your phone. And then we have near field communications. So you know, as time goes on, they they have a you know maybe a um, well, you know a, a, a check that sort of monitors where you are in the store because it knows that oh that's the phone that's associated with that account, and then they've got the list of the products. They know how long that you wandered in a particular section of the supermarket for. Uh, you know, there's there's all manner of um, poss- possibilities. Wasn't Apple that were trying to do the the store thing where you just walk in, you 
pick up the MacBook that you want or whatever and just walk straight out and it automatically builds you because it knows. Well, Amazon have got and Amazon, have, yeah. So Amazon have got that. In fact, I think they just they just announced that that's going to be expanding to a couple more cities um, because they've got it in Seattle at the moment. San Francisco and uh, I think at least one other uh, are, get, are getting that in the not-too-distant uh, not future. So, yeah, look, there, there's so many possibilities uh, w- with these things. And, you know, you, we're usually getting promoted the benefits, but there will be some flip sides. So, yep. Yeah. All right. So um, that's surveillance. Now, the other, uh, the other thing that's, that's quite relevant to us here in New Zealand is our um, – National airline or a national carrier uh, in New Zealand has finally launched their uh, Wi-Fi service. Which their, they, their surveillance service. Their, yes, that's right, their in-flight surveillance service. Um, been over 18 months since they announced it, and it was due to come out last year. Now, there were some mitigating uh, reasons for that, but uh, look, if you're interested in just getting do- delving into a few of the details, uh, we've got an article up there at traveltalk.com. Uh, NZ, so uh, to go and have a look. But the the highlight fact, the highlights are initially it's only in uh, in four planes, but that will be rolling out to more. Uh, it's in uh, Air New Zealand's triple seven fleet, and uh, on some of their triple seven three hundreds, and on a single triple seven two two hundred. Um, now this w- will will keep uh, yeah keep expanding as I say. Um, the article there by uh, by Steve Biddle on uh, Travel Talk does give some details if you're cur- curious before a flight to check whether you're going to have Wi-Fi. Uh, it will run you through the uh, the tips of how to actually figure uh, figure that out. Of course, it was January where. Um, the first review of that was uh, was published on uh, on on Travel Talk as as well. So um, yeah, definitely if you're interested in uh, travel things, worth getting uh, plugged into the uh, the Travel Talk um, site. And yeah, seems to be some good uh, good news uh, coming through off there. In fact, uh, NBR yesterday uh, picked up off that article and uh, and interviewed Steve for their own article behind cool. their paywall. But uh, this one is free so you can get in and find out all the details. Um, they're launching it in New Zealand, $40 for Wi-Fi on the flights, um, regardless of whether you're going all the way to the US or just for a, a shorter flight to uh, to Australia, which is an interesting approach. But look, they, they've got to test out the market maybe and see what people are, are willing to pay. Mm. In a lot of cases, you know, there's certainly a lot of Kiwis who will tr- travel yeah, almost exclusively on Air New Zealand will travel a lot on Air New Zealand, so they don't necessarily have to think about uh, competition so much. Because and look, it's more about the big headline figures, the the price of the flight, rather than the Wi-Fi for most uh, most people. On the plus side, I think of having a high price, it means you're less likely to be competing with loads and loads of people for uh, for bandwidth. And look, let's face it, there's not much uh, bandwidth when you're. Uh, on an aeroplane that's connected via uh, satellite to the internet at this yeah. at this stage, that will improve with you know future technologies, these lower Earth orbit satellites and so on. But uh, in the meantime, it's still uh, still you know fairly fairly slow. So, do you still have to turn off your electronic devices when you take off and land? These days, you usually don't. Um, you're supposed to. 
on most airlines put your plane on flight mode, but then, you know, some planes actually have cell sites within them. So, you know, Emirates, for instance, you, you know, you can do texting and calling from within the plane using their local onboard cell site that then bounces up using right. that, uh, that satellite connection. Not heavily used because it's just so expensive in the same way that, you know, planes used to have... Uh, um, have phones on them so that you could do uh, do calls and 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 so on. And the uptake was just very low on that. Yeah. So yeah, uh, traveltalk dot nz for those that want to uh, delve into that a little bit a uh, little bit deeper. Um, definitely well worth uh, well worth a read if you're interested. And there'll be more uh, more discussion of that in the forums as well. So. If you've taken the um, one of those flights with Air New Zealand's Wi-Fi on it in the last uh, last uh, few days since it officially launched, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your uh, your comments. Now on to uh, Google I/O, their big annual uh, developers uh, developer conference. So many things to think about, um, but let's start with uh, with Gmail. That's had a bit of a refresh, uh, but the the headline uh, feature, I suppose you could say, uh, or one of them is um, Smart Compose, which sort of auto completes sentences for you in Gmail. This is is very curious to me because we've been we've got very used to auto completes our word you know filling out, yeah, um, but the idea of having your conversation um, yeah your conversation sort of generated and the the uh, the computer deciding what it is you might be wanting to say and filling it in could leave us with some very I mean if not done well some very drab communications where we get used to certain phrases that are just you know whatever Google kind of likes that keep sort of popping yeah. out and we're like oh yeah that'll do that's in the direction of what I wanted to to say, and look in the you know in their demo video, someone you know might type you know one or two words, and then it's filling out the rest of uh, the sentence or the bulk of the uh, the sentence. So do you think it's it's a it's it's generally a good idea, or are you on the? I, I think for quick replies, it could actually be quite useful, just because um, people are lazy these days and they don't actually want to write a big letter. What are you saying? What are you saying about my habits? I'm saying that people are... Or are so you talking about people in general? People in general, they're, they're used to like tweets, like 160 characters or 250 characters, whatever it is now, or Facebook messages. They're not doing... Unless you're writing a, like a work email, you're not necessarily doing big, long, multi-line sentences and big, deep paragraphs of, of deep philosophical thought. You're saying... We want it quick and easy. Yeah, I will be there. See you soon. Pick up some nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Depending on how contextual that goes with looking at who are the recipients, what your past conversations were, and all that kind of stuff, it may actually work quite well. And I suspect the sentence structure and stuff that they come up with is all tied together with everything with the assistant, with what we're going to be talking about with duplex and... All that kind of stuff. So it, it may. So it's a, so it might be a, it might be a taste of a future where you find that Google predicts your entire email. 
quite possibly. And if, if, it, if it's learning from the language that you use as well, so if it picks up on your favorite kind of the way that you write words, the kind of snarkiness that you might have in your own tone talking to people, if it picks that up, but also notices that when I'm emailing Paul Spain, I'm not doing complete snarkiness. But if I'm emailing someone else, then it's just going to be jokes and innuendo or, or whatever. And But if it does screw that up and starts throwing innuendo out to the business emails... It could be a problem. That could be a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I can, I can definitely think of scenarios at the moment. And, yeah, again, this, as you say, sort of crosses over into uh, Google, Google Duplex, which, which we'll talk about shortly, which is the technology where you know, basically Google can make a phone call on your behalf. Uh, but, you know, I can imagine a scenario where you've got a product, maybe it needs to be returned, there isn't some sort of automated or automatic online form or something to be filled out, or maybe there is, but where you could just say uh, to Gmail or to Google, you know, hey, Google, whoops, sorry for anyone whose devices I've set off there, um, look, I would like you, Google, to... Uh, arrange for this product to be returned. I've got a phone here, it's faulty, or the screen's busted, whatever the scenario is. Can you write in it, you know, can you handle that communication in the normal manner, or can you figure out what needs to go on there? And then it looks at its records. Oh, okay, yeah, it must be this phone because you've only got that one. I've got the serial number here, I've got the receipt, I've got the date you purchased it, and all of that info. You know, and it maybe converses with you to fill in a few gaps, and then it writes the email in a manner that's appropriate. So that that yeah. could be the sort of the stage two or three. That's yeah. sort of what you're thinking. Kind of, it, it's kind of taking. I, I guess may, maybe that interaction there is probably like taking chatbots that one one step further, and then a lot more stuff behind it. And we're going to have a really lazy future, aren't we? This, well, I mean, as, this technology is going to get better. We're not going to have to do. We're not going to have to do too much. Well, as IT professionals, we'll probably have to be training lots of other people, so we might still have plenty of work. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, it, it, it may be very boring work. <laughs> <laughs> now, Google uh, Photos. This is look. I mean, Google are great with photos. They'll store an unlimited amount. Of photos for you as long as you're happy the constraint of not storing in them, them at the absolute absolute you know upper premium quality but they do store them in you know good good uh, good high-res versions of your uh, photos which is you know suitable for a lot of people are quite happy with that an unlimited amount which of course yeah, you wonder well what happens if I'm giving Google all my photos but you know putting putting that aspect aside of, of all that the, all that they can do by having a you know a, a copy of all the images and, and maybe videos in your life uh, they're bumping along the capabilities of their uh, their photos apps and uh, look some of the uh, the the demos at Google IO look kind of cool you're certainly a um, a photographer who Spends a fair bit of time dabbling around with uh, with photos and so on. So, what, yeah. what, I mean, what were your immediate thoughts? Um, well, because I mean, I, I use Snapseed quite often to like doing quick edits on my phone and stuff. And a, a number of years ago, they bought Snapseed. They also bought uh, something a product suite called Nick Collective, which was a whole lot of filters and tooling for like doing grayscale images and doing enhancements and 
all that kind of stuff and then that kind of got folded into the online version of Google Photos and then that kind of escalated and kickstarted a lot of their really good photo editing online photo editing the magic and they seem to have been taking that further and further and further along with a lot of machine learning stuff so this kind of stuff where they were showing taking it reasonably it was an okay photo of a, of a child but the, the lighting was probably not as good as it could be they automatically kind of dulled out the, the backside, the, the the surrounding areas, and they made it black and white, didn't they? And they, then and then the child turned into just the child stayed in colour. Everything the, else looked I, sort of black it, and white or very washed out. It was a very very washed out, and I think the child kind of got a little bit more brighter and more saturation mm, and that kind of mm. stuff. So it's similar to kind of like what Apple are doing with um, portrait mode and being enhancing the after you've taken a photo, let's do some heavy processing and filtering and stuff that's not in a garish kind of yeah it doesn't look, it, look it looks good looks good rather than bad doesn't look over overtly you know cheesy hopefully um, and they're definitely using AI to do it. And I guess there's a subtle difference there between, say, portrait mode on Apple device, which is you know is using you know multiple cameras in order to do that. Uh, what well, yeah, Google are using artificial intelligence yeah. entirely to uh, and machine learning to you know make this this work. Now the other demo they had, the other demo was an old photo that was just purely black and white, and then they automatically applied color to it. So. It was like there was a grassy scene in the background with a person in the front. Nice on, bright green grass. And they brought out nice bright grass and colour into whatever she was wearing. And the magic behind actually putting colour in, there's, there's ways that you can do it. I, I don't know all the details, but there's like the different kind of... Looked good I, though, I, didn't it? It did. It from what we saw in the video on a small screen, it depends on, I guess, the resolution of the photo that you're actually working with as well. Mm. Um, but definitely impressive. Um, and you look back a, f- a few years, we were starting to see, you know, recolored versions of old uh, war film footage and black and white documentary footage that had gone through a sort of a colorization progress uh, process, which was you know, going back a few years, would have been a fairly uh, yeah, hefty process to actually do it. Now having, you know, AI just make this sort of available to anyone so they can take old family photos and, and bits and pieces and sort of just dolly them up in an instant is uh, is pretty slick. It's definitely quite slick, yeah. I, I still don't necessarily think it's going to replace proper editing with, like, say, Photoshop or all that kind of stuff for the working photographer. But for people more and more people who are going to like using the phone as their primary camera and they've got apps where you actually use your phone camera to actually scan negatives and scan old photos those kind of things to bring old memories back to life into the digital age is going to be huge for people discovering all their old photos and stuff yeah well i mean google have had investment in and photos we have Picasso and you know other things that that goes back you know quite some time now just seems every year they're they're investing just you know more and more and more and you know by stealth they've sort of actually landed in a position where yeah they're they're very very powerful now in terms of um, you know drawing you in to be the place to store Mm -hmm. and edit or you know the the company uh, to store and edit your photos, and that's just another way of um, you know, 
encouraging people to be part of of Google's yeah. uh, full ecosystem because these offerings are really really nice. And and the, the, I, I, part of the the cynical side of my mind kind of thinks this is the the cute kind of end usery kind of things that we've that we've implemented and added to our phones to entice people to come to our platform. And behind that is the full. I guess going back to the. Um, security analysis and like doing privacy. facial recognition privacy yeah. and actually tracking all that information this is the, the the bit that will actually sell the devices to actually make us able to actually invest in all that other technology have they um, have you ever read through their end user license agreement or had any analysis on that i mean how no. do we know they're not doing dodgy stuff one of the features they did show off is oh look you know you've you've got you're looking at a photo and it looks and sees, you know, your friends in there. And it's like, oh, you know, look, there's, there's there's a picture of Paul. There's, you know, these other people. They're in the picture. Would you like me to automatically just share it with them? And so, you know, that's obviously using the uh, you know, facial recognition plus then yep. sort of linking that back to contact details. And, of course, you know, we've had facial recognition in various, you know, various software for, you know, quite Wait, quite a number of fa- years. Whether it's Facebook, yeah. Facebook's Microsoft sort of had really it within good. there. Um, one of their you know photo apps quite some years ago, and but it's the more you kind of wire these things up or link them up, is when you get to that position of it all being a little bit uh, scary and and spooky. And then we had the recent uh, case of a um, you know a, a terrible serial murderer in the in the US, uh, and they were able to track back on a public. A DNA database uh, to track uh, to track them where uh, you know somebody that a distant relative I think was related to him but they managed to get some DNA data they looked it up on this public database and you know in that case we look we got a good good result you know some somebody got caught that uh, that should have been and uh, yeah good good outcomes but there's you know potentially some some negative things as well and you know you can imagine putting this into the hands of the uh, the wrong people maybe people that are wanting to in- enforce uh, things but not through legal channels that <laughs> you know you can imagine yeah that potentially you know could have happened and uh, yeah you could end up with some uh, disastrous outcomes as well so we've got to uh, we've got to keep watching this yeah. and so, encouraging uh, yeah especially these big big companies to be yeah. heading in a in a manner that's appropriate and good for society so taking the the photos thing to the extreme of the the image analysis and this goes into the next point was, I was I just had the thought of okay so we've been mark you've been posting photos of Paul Spain for like the last 5 or 6 years quite regularly every time you catch up with him we've noticed a trend here that his there's something wrong with him. He's he's getting on an age. Um, we're predicting that he, he he's losing his mind. Is that it? Well, he, his glasses seem to be getting thicker every time you take photos, so his eyesight is getting worse. So the health AI picks in and starts picking up and going. Maybe we should you should ask him to like go see his optometrist or something. Yeah. Okay. And they're showing all the stuff with their health APIs of. Right, so you could, you could get an overlap in all these things. And, I'm, I'm, yeah, they were talking about all their data points, weren't they? With their, yeah. uh, with the artificial intelligence from a from a um, healthcare perspective, and that you know idea of, of using that to you know predict who's going to get readmitted into hospital and all sorts of things. But yeah, if you cross over all these bits of data, 
look, that could that could be quite positive, right? To to know some of those things, but could also be a bit spooky when other people know about you know the personal yeah. uh, personal things. It does a little bit of a data analysis, and oh, Paul looks tired, and yeah. this, that, and the other thing, and then it makes some you know some prediction, and you know I'll use the previous one that I'm losing my mind or something, and uh, uh, and away you go, and then suddenly that. That's got linked back somewhere, and someone googling you uh, f- finds out that uh, Google Google predicts that you're about to lose your mind. Well, the the, the downside, I guess, of this is if the insurance companies get li- uh, linked into this feed and says, "Okay, we can predict that you're going to have another heart attack in two years' time," or the the chances are of this, so therefore your health insurance has been cancelled. Yeah, that might uh, not be so ideal, uh, but if it but if it encourages good actions on on your part, sort of health wise, then that can be good too. Yeah. So anyway, lots to lots to talk about uh, now. Google Duplex. Let's uh, let's dive into that. Pretty this is Pretty uh, this is. This is a uh, and if you haven't look if you haven't seen the video on Google uh, Duplex then then Google it have a watch it's on YouTube. Uh, this was is certainly the thing from uh, Google I/O that's had the most attention. I think. Do you want to walk people through um, through it? Basically, Google Duplex is taking the the AI of the assistant and turning it into a virtual human and personal assistant. Um, instead of saying, hey, Google, um, make me an appointment to go and get my eyes checked. You can say, can you make the appointment for me? And then in the background, the AI assistant will go, ah, oh, I can see that your, your optometrist is so-and-so and so-and-so. It'll go and dial them and do a conversation saying, hi, I would like to make an appointment for Mark Derricket to get his eyes checked on Tuesday, if possible. And then we'll wait for a response and kind of have a human interactive conversation with whoever's on the other end of the phone. And through the, the various different scenarios that they've shown, it's like, oh, sorry, we don't have any bookings that day. Oh, well, how about the day after? And it, it's kind of like just knowing your information, but it's interesting some of the answers that it was giving that were vague or picking up on the search terms and just repeating those search terms with with other kind of vague terms like no Tuesday please I my I, I need my eyes checked mm. and just waiting till it got a valid response or a response that it could work with Seem, seemed to handle it re- reasonably naturally right yeah um, yeah no and and look the other bit that's been talked about uh, from this is you know not only can you know Google on your behalf you know call up and say book you whatever appointment and you know that one of the examples was the hair you know the haircut appointment um, but then you could flip that and if you're the hairdresser and you're not available to get to the phone or you don't want to be taking phone calls maybe you're you know sole charge what have you you, you can't do two things at once. So then you've got Google answering those calls, and it could be you know a person calling up, or it could yeah. be Google Google talking to Google. In which case, you know if it figures that out, then then it could speed the process al- along entirely. Unless um, we've all seen what happens with IRC bots when they start talking to each other, and it gets hilarious. So I want to see two Google bots talking to each other. Yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll figure that out. It's more when one's a Google one and one's a you Siri, know, Amazon yeah. or or Apple or Microsoft. Um, One of but the, the, you know this really will 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 I imagine uh, you know just just help 
Google's raft of, of data and knowledge of what's going on and ability to, uh, um, you know, have an important role within within more uh, businesses. Microsoft have a platform uh, that's part of Microsoft 365 called Microsoft Bookings, which is a, gives a web front end for, for instance, a hairdresser where someone can just go into the web and um, and you know place a a, a booking uh, a booking that way. Um, so look, you know these technologies are out there. We add the the voice pieces in, and if this works as well as uh, Google's uh, demos, then that'll be very handy. One of the things that I saw uh, raised was, well, isn't this kind of a little bit spooky that people don't know that they're talking to an AI because it's so good? I did see someone mentioning that the AI should identify that it is. And AI and Google have said they will do that now. Yeah. So just take away that uh, spook factor, I, so people know what's going but on. But one thing that I did notice a lack of in the various different things that they showed the calls. I think they only had like two or three calls, but the people that they were talking to were well spoken. They weren't like uh, strong foreign accents or. Oh, I think there was a there was a demo. Um, where the, it was a little bit of a challenge, and it wasn't um, a little bit of a challenge. But I'm, I'm thinking like strong, like maybe say like a Latino, or if depending or those those yeah, kind, of, they, those they kind s- of accents that have quite a twang and quite yeah okay. quite quite localized slang words and and stuff could be even more com- complex. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure some challenges, but they uh, yeah they they seem to have worked pretty hard to try and. Uh, deal with a mix of uh, scenarios and you know, language and but, and so on. You know. There was the, the other interesting uh, duplex demo that they, they demonstrated where they're saying quite often during holidays and stuff, you're, the majority of phone calls that we see people making are things like, are you open the, on, the, on the weekend? And they're going through and going, okay, well, we can recognize that people are calling, wanting to call X restaurants. So we will call the restaurant on behalf and find out whether they're open, and then we'll update website search results to say, no, they're closed, or yes, we are open. That could be quite horrid for a store, though. And, you know, basically Google's advertising itself by doing a robotic call. They might not ever get anybody that asks the info, but you get a call, hey, it's Google here, just checking if you're going to be open this weekend. Um, you know, and you get all these extra calls and then, you know, maybe it's not just Google and, you know, Bing are doing it. A few other people have jumped on some other directories and we've just got all these, you know, we're getting bombarded with a whole lot of, yeah, ro- robot uh, robot calls that you have to deal with. Yeah. So, look, if, they, if they're dealing with it, if they're calling an AI and you don't have to answer it, not so much of a problem, but uh, we, we, we need to, you know... Now keep from, that, from the, keep the lid on on that going too. From nuts. the security aspect, how about a new form of social engineering where you pretend to be a Google AI bot, mm. and get and get automated information out of someone, and they're just talking. They think they're talking to a bot, so they might just say things. What about someone that twists it for their cold calling purposes? You know, because who likes cold calling? But that's uh, that's the job of what some salespeople have to do, right? Is cold calling so? Um, you know, who wouldn't pay a, a Google bot to uh, to to do that for them? I got a cold call about cryptocurrencies from Cyprus the other night. How much did you invest? I didn't, but uh, I t- gamble. Um, no, none, but I did keep him <laughs> on the phone for forty five minutes, <laughs> just in case he was a scammer. <laughs> Interesting. Um, now on to other ones. So uh, the Google Smart Displays, which they showed off at CES in January. 
those are now expected in July, and they sort of compete with the Amazon Echo Show. Uh, there's a you know, range of vendors that are releasing them, not coming from uh, from Google directly. From Lenovo was the one that's coming out first, I think. Yep, there's a JBL in there. Um, so there's a, there's definitely a few um, a few options or yeah, different ones expected, different screen sizes, touchscreen, really Amazon Assistant built in, but a but a bit of a screen as well. So you know, for instance, it might uh, you might have it come up in the morning and and just you know let you know what the best route is into the office and let you see that visually and look you know I'll get that on uh, on Alexa today for instance and you know it just tells me there's you know there's a couple of routes from my um, my home to the office and it'll tell me which one's the which one's the quickest and, and how long it'll take if I if I ask it but that's the sort of thing that you could have just sort of cycle onto the screen as a little bit of you know mm. information about the, the quickest way to work on a particular morning and News updates, and you know, it'll show you those red red spots on the on the map where the traffic's very slow. Now we mentioned uh, JBL there as uh, you know, work, working with Google on uh, on that front. The other thing JBL uh, are doing, and look, they've been in the audio um, space for a, a very very long time. I was at an event with them uh, last uh, last night in a small cinema in Sydney and uh, they were talking about their sort of roots in uh, in audio and and bringing sound to uh, to the to film basically in the very very early days so yeah quite a long history now they're owned by Samsung so of course Samsung's working you know very hard to sort of help push and and, and grow um, J- JBL which is a brand that sits under Harman and they've got a whole lot of audio related brands it's it's kind of you know, crazy trying to get your head around all of the different uh, you know things that uh, that Samsung actually owns now, and and even Harman itself, uh, what the varying uh, pieces of the puzzle are. But uh, what they what they did was we uh, we sat down and, uh, and and watched a movie in the cinema. Now it's a uh, it was a sort of a, a semi private uh, cinema, I think, uh, built in maybe the. 1940s or something Ooh, nice um, but it could fit I'm just trying to work out maybe a, a, in the direction of around 50 people there was probably uh, half that in there and they they were using um, the uh, latest Mad Max uh, movie uh, Fury Road uh, to demonstrate their new surround sound soundbar now Soundbar and surround sound doesn't seem sort of super compatible because it's this idea of having the soundbar that you know sits in front of your TV usually. So they've got this what they're calling a five point one uh, soundbar, and it's uh, there's a there's a couple of elements to it. So you've got the soundbar, you've also got a big sort of bass speaker or bass bin, and look, you've got to work out in your room where where it, where it works best. And then um, you've got the, the sound bar, which I guess sort of covers your centre and left and right speakers. But there's also two more speakers that are attached to the sides of the sound bar. And you can just separate them off to create the rear uh, speakers so that you actually get surround sound. Mm. And that whenever they're uh, connected to the main sound bar, they're charging. And when they're disconnect, when they're you know physically disconnected, uh, then they've got ten hours worth of battery life. They'll work wirelessly, uh, as as does the um, 
the bass speaker and then they've got a little microphone so it can work out and, and adjust for your uh, for your room and look I've never I've never gone for the sort of sound bar before I've always been like well you know look having a good surround sound system is, is good but um, where I'm living at the moment I haven't got round to setting up any of that stuff and the wires and everything it's actually it's it's quite a hassle to sort of make it work right in, in a lot of uh, scenarios and so look I'm really curious to try this out and also you know, I guess what they were trying to trying to do by demonstrating it in the cinema is this thing especially with the bottom end is very very loud um, so yeah you had uh, you know 25 people who at the end of it, yeah, there were people saying, surely you were running off the built-in sound in the cinema. This was not off the, you know, the $1,200 uh, JBL sound, sound bar. And they said, no, this is all running off that sound bar. Uh, and, you know, look, um, you know, the, the Mad Max movie is, is, is good for, uh, for the sort of loud bass, uh, bass sounds. And uh, yeah, definitely from that perspective, it was it was a good uh, good demo. Looking at online reviews because it has, I think it has maybe uh, launched in the in the US. Uh, but when when I had a look to see if you could order them, you can't order them there until late June. So it might be that um, maybe yeah, there has been some initial stock that's uh, sold out, or yeah, I'm not sure on the full scenario. But expect to be hitting New Zealand around July anyway, and uh, they've also got some other ones, a 3.1. Uh, I think they're, they're launching about three uh, soundbar products in, in New Zealand. And look, from from my initial look and, and listen, it seems like there's certainly a step up from you know, being an audio company. They're a step up from what you get that's a direct sort of matched soundbar uh, from, you know, for instance, a Samsung or LG, if you've got you know, those types of uh, TVs. So um, yeah, very very cool to um, uh, to check out, and it's nice to see uh, to see you know innovation and and competition in that uh, on that audio front. Uh, because look, we, we've got really nice high definition screens now, and uh, having good audio to go with them uh, is important. Of course, there's whole other levels up from uh, up from there, and you can spend as many thousands as you want um, on on audio in the same way people do and. In other areas, is that an area of interest uh, to you, Mark? It could be. Um, might be out of my price range, but uh, I've only got a small place. So, um, there's not much room to actually put things in, so a soundbar could actually be quite useful. Yeah, rather than big speakers everywhere. So, cool, cool. My neighbour wouldn't appreciate it though. That that could be a problem. It was certainly a comment that was uh, <laughs> that that was made uh, last night because this thing was yeah was was thundering. Thunderdome type sounds, nice. So uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, getting hands on uh, one of those and having a look. Uh, Google News, uh, it's had a little bit of a, um, a refresh, bit of work done. Um, but Google P, uh, sorry, Android P, uh, is something I'm I'm kind of interested in. I mean, we just you know, constantly. Uh, you know, getting updates across our apps, across our devices, and, you know, firmwares and different things. But maybe, when it comes to maybe um, your devices, <laughs> when it comes to Android, we do sort of expect a new version. Now, they Google do seem to be working a little bit, a little bit on making uh, 
these updates more accessible. It does seem to be improving with some some brands and some devices. And in fact, with the Google P beta, uh, there was you know, at least half a dozen uh, devices across you know well at least half a dozen brands whose devices are supported uh, for you know and uh, Android P uh, beta, which is is interesting. Uh, Nokia was one that I went and had a look, and we've got a few Nokia handsets around the office, but it's it's you know the the newest uh, Sony Xperia. So I had a look, and it's the uh, I think it's the XZ2, which is, again, their very, very latest that has this available. So it's not a broad range of actual handsets. Once you drill into each brand, there's sort of, you know, one from, from quite a number of brands. Um, but still, it's um, it's somewhat positive that this this beta isn't uh, isn't just on Google's own, uh, own handsets. Mm. Uh, in terms of, you know, some of the things that uh, that look interesting um app actions uh they're calling them uh slices looks interesting so they showed uh, a demo of using um uh, lyft which is the uber you know uber competitor in the u.s and somebody typing lyft into the search and then it coming up and actually suggesting uh some actions that you would do within lyft so uh this seems like quite a nice way to extend apps and uh, look on, um, you know, iOS, for instance, you know, you've got your 3D touch. You can hold, uh, you know, you can press down on a on an app icon and get some shortcuts to some particular things. We work in a somewhat similar uh, way. Uh, yeah, this is allowing you to trigger, uh, you know, certain things. So it might be you type lift, and it might be you want a price or you want a time or you've got a standard place you go home or work, etc. Uh, and right from that search, it's able to give you that option, and um, and away you go. So, um, look, there, there are always lots of these sort of little tweaks and, and updates, but that's uh, that's one that would you know ultimately save save people some time. So it seems uh, seems kind of good. It seems like an extension of what they added, I think, in Oreo or just before, where if you hold down on an application, then you got those short menus as well of yeah. certain, certain actions that you that's can do. That's right, similar to iOS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah, that's um, that's uh, interesting to uh, to see. Now the um, the other area they're talking about is a sort of usage st- stats type information that's um, uh, pointless. Well, <laughs> and, but, and, and for, for the majority of people, I kind of think that's pointless. But for the tech geeks who spend so much time on their phone, now they've got something else that they can spend so much time on their phone to tell them how much time they spend on their phone. Whereas most people just want to make a phone call and then put the phone away. Well, I mean, I imagine this will be quite useful for uh, some parents whose kids are maybe spending a little bit too much time on their devices. So you can actually, you can get to see what the usage is. And if you could remotely see, so on, on, from my device, I can see what my children have been doing on their devices, Mm. then that could be useful. But if I have to take their device off them, they're just going to cry anyway, but... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Theor- so, theoretical i don't have children yeah all right so there's some other bits and pieces there in android p but we're uh, we're running running a little yeah. bit little bit short on um on time uh there was uh shush or shush as they pronounced it in there we flip your phone over and it puts it into a do not disturb mode look we've seen variations on that through third-party apps i think maybe htc put it in some you know phones 
you know years ago, but that's sort of becoming a just a, a standard part of Android. And there's a bunch yeah. of other stuff to do with do not uh, disturb type uh, uh, type you know, capabilities and uh, you know ways that people can sort of break through that wall if they're on a on a you know whitelist that can get hold of you any time or if they you know keep calling back. So look, some of these things aren't particularly new. We've seen variations of them before, uh, but it's. It's all all part of uh, Android P anyway, so kind of kind of kind of good to see. Um, yeah, some of these functions just being just being built into stock stock standard Android, and you know leaves less reasons why manufacturers need to butcher Android with their own uh, their own various tweaks, right? Yep. All right, now uh, Waymo. Now this isn't really Android specific, but it's Google. This is well, the, the, well, uh, well Alphabet, right? Yeah. So this is this is part of um, you know part part of uh, part of Alphabet, which Google's part of is is Waymo. Uh, and look at IO, they they talked through a bunch of things. Um, one of them was they referenced a hundred times reduction in the error rate for uh, predicting pedestrians. So this is so uh, the Waymo autonomous vehicles can can make good. Indications of, of pedestrians that might walk in front, and, and they've, that's, they've, that's quite a topical thing to point out due to recent uh, events with other manufacturers. That, that, that's true, and they're highlighting look that their uh, their autonomous vehicle fleet is the only one in the world that is just you know going on public roads, offering uh, you know services broadly now. They say their fleet has driven more than six million miles on uh, public roads, and uh, a quick think of what you could relate to. If you could drive to the moon, that would be uh, ten, more than ten return trips to the moon. Yeah. So these things have done a lot of kilometres uh, or miles on the on the public roads, and now, uh, in fact, if you know somebody or you just happen to live in Arizona, which wouldn't be too many of our listeners. I know we do get some in the US, uh, but if you know somebody in uh, in Arizona, then you can actually sign up for Waymo's early rider program um, at the waymo.com uh, website so um, yeah my only annoyance is that they're not doing this in uh, New Zealand but um, you know hey if you uh, if you wanted maybe you could uh, you could apply and um, and go for a ride on uh, or in one of these um, Waymo vehicles and yeah, basically you'll you know you'll have an app in the same way you know, we have Uber type apps and and other uh, taxi apps uh, right now. You know, later this year they're going to be just opening that up and making that you know, quite uh, quite broadly available in um, you know, at least in in Arizona, I believe. But this will open up uh, more more broadly, and so we we so move into that world of is, uh, autonomous vehicles. I haven't really followed too much of Waymo, but is that is it positioned as a you install the app and you subscribe to Waymo and a car comes to you or are you buying a Waymo car that's no, self-driving? No, you're not buying a car. So it's much more like Uber where right. you, know, you would use it for... Yeah, kind of a, lo- a long-term journey, lease journey, kind of thing, Journeys as, as needed. You won't own, you won't lease the car. You're basically paying for it on a per-usage type. Right. type but that's, that's my impression. Now, there may be some variations on that model. And look, there could be a flat rate subscription. There's all sorts of you know possibilities for how, you know, how they might actually launch it. But it wouldn't be too surprising for them to follow um, you know a model somewhat similar to uh, Uber. But 
may, maybe, just maybe, the pricing would be uh, would be something that is designed to um, kill Uber's place in, or you know, a large chunk of Uber's place yeah. in the market uh, because they're not having to pay for the time of a, a driver and a, you know a vehicle that would be able to do um, yeah a fair number of, of hours a day depending on yeah recharging refueling type um, you know scenarios based on the recent uh, stop work by New Zealand Uber drivers it sounds like Uber doesn't pay their drivers anyway so well not not very much no not very much um, yeah, so look, that's uh, just about it for, for us this, this week. Now, one thing, as we were uh, putting some of our notes together today, um, we talked about was um, Microsoft Word and it's autocorrect. Now, sometimes I'm not very good at spelling a word and uh, Microsoft give it a sort of squiggly underline to tell me that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense and then I right-click, and it doesn't have any sort of answer. And, in fact, Mr. Derricket, with your surname, it also gives a squiggly underline. So my question to Microsoft um, and, you know, maybe Google with, with their stuff as well and any, any of these, uh, you know, systems that have got uh, – that can tell us about our mistakes so is I, um, they've, they've got maybe got some work to do on, uh, on the recommendations. So I, um, not iOS, but macOS has – Autocorrect as you type. Yes, and sometimes that gets things far more wrong than right. Sometimes, and true, is, is, is quite annoying. Cause it can be pretty good though, because it save, save, it can save you some time. True, but it, it, the, the first time I, I hit it, it was like it was autocorrecting to the wrong things, and I wasn't expecting my desktop to do autocorrect because <laughs> so, it was it was just turned on by default. So if it had actually learnt more from history and the more of the, that AI stuff that we were talking about earlier. That would definitely improve as well, and if it. But for that to work, we're going to need to feed back into their cloud how we correct every word. So we're going to yes. need to share a bit of data with them, right? So um, well, you know, and they, but but then that would play in, and everyone would benefit. I, I suppose mo- that's in most where, cases. where you would actually subscribe into your operating system, and then it would share out to other people without your knowledge. Behind or do they just turn it on by without asking? Well, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, that's it for us this week. Um, thank you, Mark, for uh, for joining New Zealand Tech Podcast again. It's good, been to, good to be here. Good to have you back. Uh, and we hope um, we'll uh, we'll make it work to have you have you on again uh, during the year as well. Um, where do people track you down online? And, and what are you doing on a podcasting front yourself at the moment? You've had uh, some episode, a couple of episodes we, out this year. We 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 finally had the first episode of a legal argument this year. So for week. listeners that don't know what a legal argument the illegal it's, argument podcast is, you better. Uh, it's yeah. ostensibly software development, but we just kind of it's just a bunch of coders arguing, ranting. Which, which was interesting. I, I saw an article talking about if, if you're getting more than like 200 downloads within the first two or three days, you're in the top echelon of podcasts, which I was thinking, really? That, that, that seems quite crazy. Well, there's so and, many podcasts now. There's hundreds yeah. of thousands. And so I checked my stats and it was like within three days, we had 400 downloads. So at least someone's downloading them. I don't know if anyone's listening because we haven't had well, much usually feedback. Usually you get unsubscribed if, if, uh, if you do, <laughs> or it stops downloading if, if people aren't, uh, aren't listening. So you, yeah. must have some, you must have some listeners there, Mark. It's yes. Good. Yeah. And other than that, uh, Chalice of Blood for music photography. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
Good, good. And um, you're still being kept uh, busy at SMX? I'm still at SMX, yes, and we're still fighting the spam and... There's a lot of it out there. Yeah, doing all that uh, all that cool stuff. Oh, that's great. Well, um, yeah, thanks again. And thanks, everybody, for listening in uh, this week to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, always welcome your feedback. You're, uh, you're always welcome uh, to email me or get in touch via, uh, via LinkedIn, Twitter, or uh, Facebook, where I'm fairly easy to, uh, to track down. Um, all right, well, that's us for, uh, for this week. We will catch you again next week. All right, see ya. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.